normally with us, Kids Club is an opportunity for four to eight-year-olds to step into an environment that allows a whole lot more wiggling. And if that appeals to you, we could always use volunteers. So if you need to go wiggle with them, it also gives them a message that is far more targeted. So as a parent, we want to regularly remind you that you are welcome to send them out with the other group of kids. You're welcome to walk them, join them, and of course, you're always welcome to keep your kids here with you. So Kids Club, kids are gone. On a Tuesday morning, I stopped at a gas station in Sherman, Texas. My car was low on fuel, and I had about 140 miles to drive. I remember listening to the radio, and there was a radio program on I was so interested in that I left the ignition keys in my car, and I rolled my window down so I could continue listening to the radio while my car filled with gas. Now, living in around the Dallas area, I was listening to a sports radio station that was known to kind of put out these sarcastic messages. So when I first heard that a plane had hit a tower in New York, I thought it was a joke. I thought, what are these guys doing? They're going to get fired for this. And as I continued to listen, you find that not long after that, a second plane hit, and I didn't know what to do. I went on to this conference uh, to meet another another group of men who were in ministry, and the six of us sat in a room praying over our country with no clue what to do. This had never happened in our lifetimes. It eroded our foundation. This has been on my mind all week, as it is as we lead into every September 11th. If you are old enough, which is like over 17, to have any concept of what happened that day, it occurs to you as we walk into this season. So preparing for this series, it's got me thinking of the question, what is the foundation of our lives? What do we build our life upon? Is it what we do for a living? Is it, what do you do? This week I was around a group of men and the question that got asked over and over and over again to me and everyone else is, so what do you do? As if that should somehow define me. Is your foundation the good things that you've done in your life? Are we merely the sum total of our accomplishments? This week I got the privilege of sharing the gospel with a man, and while walking through his life in the gospel, he proceeded to give me a long list of all the good things he'd ever done in his life. And I suspect we all kind of think that way sometimes. Is our foundation the people in our lives? Be it the parents or grandparents or even our kids? Or our kids' activities, kids' sports? Is it our friendships? About a week ago, somebody told me that if it wasn't for their friends and their family, their life would not be worth living anymore, as if to suggest that was their foundation. Is it our bank accounts? How much we can earn? How much we can save? What our retirement looks like? Friends, this morning we are starting a series called The Cornerstone. And it's my hope over the next five weeks, including this one, that we will look at and consider the foundation of our life. Because as the earth trembles and the waters rise, and let me assure you, they do. You could walk around here and it wouldn't take long to find some folks whose life have shaken lately. Where the water has risen a lot because it happens. And so our foundation is what we stand upon when we're called to weather the storms, when we're called 
to hold on. So we want to prayerfully enter into this five-week series incredibly purposefully because in November we have a major political election. And I have friends covering every possible political spectrum that could even considerably exist. And I think every single one of them is absolutely terrified of nearly every single possible outcome. I've yet to find somebody who's taking great peace with where we're headed. And if it's you, I would love to chat with you about it. I'd love to hear what you're thinking. I'm lost. And if you follow the news, you would note that there's major tensions in the world, as there always are. Whether it's ISIS or refugees moving this way or that, whether it's Iranian boats or Russian planes or North Korean missiles, there's tension. We are entering into this series... Because there are a handful of you who've received significant medical diagnoses that were not expected, that were not planned, that you weren't looking forward to, and we're entering into this because some of you are struggling in serious relationship struggles, be them with a spouse, your children, or other friends. And we're entering into this because there are no doubt some 78,000 other issues in our lives that are causing us anxiety, that are shaking us up, that are making us wonder how secure we really are. So we're going to spend the next five weeks asserting that Jesus Christ is our cornerstone, that he is the only foundation that we can build our lives upon, and that he alone can be our hope, he alone can be our protection, he alone can be our strength, And he alone can be our king. In the Old Testament, in the book of Psalms, the 118th chapter, verse 22 reads like this. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. And it is marvelous in our eyes. This verse will frame our series for the next five weeks as the psalmist puts forth the premise for us that this stone which the world will reject is the most foundational thing the most important thing it's our cornerstone this verse in the book of psalms is easy to gloss over but is quoted almost seven times in the new testament by a litany of authors most notably in the book of acts the fourth chapter, which says this, Acts 4.11. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. You see here, Peter now leaning into the Psalm 118 text, and what becomes astounding about Peter in chapter 4 of the book of Acts, if you lean into it, is that Peter and John had just been arrested for preaching about Jesus. They'd just been an entire night in the jail for preaching about Jesus and are brought in front of a court full of religious prudes, men who thought they had their lives together, men who followed all the rules, and men who oppressed other people with their rule following, The same exact crowd, five, six weeks later, who had killed Jesus previously, Peter stands before them 
and doesn't back down. Rather, Peter explains an Old Testament prophecy fulfilled in Jesus. He looks at this 118th Psalm and says, this Jesus is the stone. Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you. And he looks at these religious people, these rule followers, and said, you rejected him. And he has become our cornerstone. He has become our foundation. He has become the most important thing. And Peter continues in verse 12. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And Peter confronts religious people who believe in their rule following as if their name by following rules would be enough. That their name, if they could just do enough right things, could merit salvation. If their name, based on a weighted scale of if I do enough right things versus my wrong things, I I could get in. You know, I sinned three times yesterday, but I walked four old ladies across the street. I'm, I'm kind of weighing it out. As if their name carried some merit. And what Peter says is there is no other name. There's no other way. There is no one else. For Jesus alone can be our foundation. He is the only secure foundation, and it can be found nowhere else. I spent a long time as a youth pastor. One of the funny things that happened to me as a youth pastor is spending seasons with kids who were atheists. And along the lines, you would spend time with a kid And I would say, hey, would you read the Bible with me? And along the way, sometimes they would say, hey, would you read this book with me? And during that season, I got the opportunity to read a litany of biographies of various men. One of the most astounding to me was Kurt Cobain. I don't really recommend you read it. But if you read Kurt Cobain's biography, it would tell you, I've had as many women as I ever wanted, and it wasn't enough. I've drank everything one could possibly drink, And it solved nothing. If you can smoke it, inject it, inhale it, fried it, it was futile. I've made more money than I ever conceived of, and yet I'm ridiculously hopeless. His book becomes a testimony to the foundations of this world and how they're futile. How none of it lasts. And I could put book before book before book of men and women who've tried every flavor this world will sell you and can testify that that it's hopeless. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we can be saved. And then Peter picks up this other theme from Psalm 118 that he is the foundation And that he's the foundation by his doing, not by our doing. It says in Psalm 118, this is the Lord's doing. Why? Because it was the work of Jesus Christ that gives us salvation. 
It is Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins. The Bible makes it clear, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And by the way, all includes me. It includes my children. It includes my parents. It includes everyone I'm related to. It includes you and everyone you're related to. There's not a single one of us, the Bible would say, that doesn't struggle with sin. Which is to say, look around you. There are no perfect people here. There's no one in this room that is currently nailing it, as I like to say. We are all struggling with sin in one degree with another, but we gather together because we've found hope in Jesus Christ that in His name have we found the forgiveness In His name, we have found salvation. And in His name, we have found a life that is worth us gathering and celebrating. It is the name of Jesus. It is His work at the cross for my sin and for yours. He took the punishment that I deserved. And He declared me forgiven. And He can give us eternal life It's because of what he did, not because of what I did. All I bring to the equation is sin. And he saved me. And he saves us. All that would believe in him. Paul sums this up for us in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 by saying it this way. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. What Paul writes in Ephesians, it is by grace that we've been saved through faith. That when we believe in Jesus, grace is then attributed to us through his righteousness. That when we have believed in Jesus, God the Father no longer looks at us as a sinner meriting penalty. He looks at us as his son. We have a righteousness attributed to us and we receive grace because of our faith. It doesn't require, it's not a result of our works. And the psalmist continues. We are built on this foundation of what he accomplished. Not on what we accomplished. On what he accomplished And his final phrase in Psalm 118, 23 is, and it is marvelous in our eyes. It is marvelous in our eyes. And why is it marvelous? Because it's not up to me. It's not up to you. I don't have to live with the pressure of achieving. I don't have to live with the pressure of being good enough. I don't have to keep a checklist in my journal of all the things I've done right today and all the things I've done wrong, I don't have to live with a tension of my good and my bad. I live knowing that Jesus Christ accomplished something for me at the cross I never could have on my own. I glory and I marvel at what He did. And it's marvelous to me. And what it puts out before us is the reality that our foundation to be found in the cornerstone because of what He did for us is praiseworthy. Which is to say that there are other foundations that we could seek 
that we could pursue that we'll find empty, we'll find faulty. And we will not marvel because they aren't worth marveling after. No, we'll find them empty. And the Bible puts before us that our foundation coming from a salvation found in Christ, that this one who paid the penalty for my sin, this one who was crucified and died on a cross and rose three days later, conquering death, this salvation is found in believing in the sufficiency of what he did, not in the sufficiency in what I have done. And that to believe the contrary, to add anything else into that, is to think that what I might do could be sufficient. That God might need my help in order to save me. And I assure you, he doesn't need my help. All I've ever brought to it is sin, and that's true of you also. Friends, our foundation in Jesus Christ is unshakable. It's an uncrackable, unpenetrable foundation. And this is an absolutely incredible truth. And this is why we stand in honor of God, who would stand in our place. This is why we marvel. Jesus also taught on this idea of foundation in a short parable, ironic we're in a parable, found in both Matthew and Luke. And we're going to look at the Matthew version Coming in chapter 7, on a side note, you should know that this is the inspiration for the story of the three little pigs, if you didn't know that that was a biblical story. Matthew seven twenty four reads as follows. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain fell And the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Let's make a quick couple of observations before we move on. Jesus gives you a parable. He tells you of a man who he calls wise. But I want to at least note for a second that even this wise man who hears Jesus and obeys him, the rain falls on. The floods come to. The winds still blow and still beat his house. Friends, not one of us escapes it. All of us do. And he gives us the contrast in the following two verses. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods come, and the winds blew and beat against that house, or he huffed and he huffed and he blew his house down, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So here we have Jesus teaching a parable about foundations, so we must consider the contrast. Because it comes from Jesus. The first man hears the words of Jesus. And watch this. He obeys. First the Bible says he's wise. Then he's likened to having a strong foundation. Described both as deep and solid in Luke's account. And when the rains fall and the floods come. The house is safe. 
that is built on the rock. And the contrast comes with the second man when he hears the words of Jesus and does not obey. And the Bible calls this man foolish. And his disobedience is likened to a house that is built on the sand. And Luke's account says it has no foundation. And again, the rain falls and the floods come and the house falls and is destroyed. If there's one thing that's consistent in this passage, it's that the rains fall and the floods come. They always do. And yet the difference that shows up here is that the one man hears the word and obeys. He obeys. When Jesus shows up before Peter and says, Peter, follow me. What does Peter do? Follows him. When Jesus calls out to Peter on a boat in the middle of a storm and says, step out onto the water, what does Peter do? He steps out onto the water. He obeys. So when God the Father beckons us and says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, what do we do? We trust Him. We step out in faith. We believe Him. If you were with us two years ago, we walked through Hebrews 11, defining faith as believing God Taking God at His word and living like it's true. See, we believe God we, when we obey God. Had a conversation this week with somebody about the fact that even Satan believes in God. The demons believe in God. It's not just going, yep, He's there. He exists. That's not the belief that the Bible talks about. It's actually believing in Him in a substantive way that it would then inform how we live. This is the obedience put in Matthew 7. So just like Peter, in the midst of a storm, when God would say to you or to me or any of us, hey, come out on the water. It's stormy out here. What do we do? See, in that moment, we are challenged with a decision. And I'm not telling you any of us will nail this the first time. This is why we have community, so we can come around each other. But in that moment, we say, God, do I believe you? And do I believe you in a substantive enough way to say that if I put my foot out on water, which my mind tells me will not work, I ought to sink like a rock, let alone the waves... I can see Peter going, Lord, if, I mean, if it was a calm day, maybe. But Jesus didn't call him out on a calm day to do the unthinkable. Jesus called him out on a windy, wavy day in the midst of a storm. Who knows how much lightning and thunder are rolling? To step out and believe him. And that belief in that moment was taking the step. Why? Because the rain comes. It always does. The floods come. They always do. And we believe in Jesus because He is our foundation. 
And what you see happening in the life of Peter as you walk him through from the beginning of the gospel, when he follows him through the book of Acts, you see a radically different man for two reasons, one of which is the Holy Spirit, which we absolutely have to acknowledge, which we also have to acknowledge you receive in full when you believe in God. So you got that, you're covered, having believed in Jesus. But Peter starts to have a foundation of stepping out and going, whoa, God's faithful. Hey, God's faithful again. Whoa, God's faithful. If we were to follow through in Acts, they continue this speech in Acts 4, and then they get beaten. And you know what they do? Ah, let's go preach some more. And then they get beaten. Let's preach some more. Because as they walk through these storms and these earth-shaking moments, they keep finding God faithful in his provision to take care of them. And I would argue to you that if you look back over the storms, God took care of you. God was in the midst of it. You may not have seen it immediately, but when you step back and you look into your life, you can see moments that don't make sense. Like, why did I have a peace on that moment? In that day, why? God carries us. He gives us strength to walk through all that He puts before us because the rains come. They always do. And the floods come. They always do. And friends, people are going to be elected. And if this is our hope, if this is our protection, if this is our strength, if this is our King, it will absolutely crumble. And there will be wars and rumors of wars and that's tied to our hope, our protection, our strength, or our king, it will all crumble. And we are getting older. Every last one of us. Still getting older. That's how you shake your head. All of us. And as we do it, our bodies will fail us. I've joked, this is the first season I've started taking Tylenol before softball games. Like, hey, I'm going to really hurt after this one. Didn't even wait. If our hope is our health, if our hope is the health of our friends and family, if it is our protection, our strength, or our king, it will all crumble. And if we live our lives dependent on the relationships of people, as if they are our hope, as if they can carry us, as if they are our strength or our king, it will all crumble because they will all let you down, me included. That's why the Bible puts before us the hope of Jesus Christ, that he would be our foundation. Because in Christ, we have a hope that is beyond absolutely anything this world can offer. If I got to write Kurt Cobain a letter before he committed suicide, this would be it. Of all the things you tried, and you claim you tried all of them, Jesus wasn't on your list. We have a hope beyond anything this world can hold. 
And we have a protector who can carry us and hold us through absolutely any storm or situation or circumstance. And we have a strength that comes from the one who not only created the stars, put them in the sky and holds them now. And we have a king that is sitting on his throne. And regardless of what will happen to you and me today, tomorrow, or in November, his kingdom is not in question. It will not be threatened. It is not at all in doubt. And it will last forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever as he has always planned that it would. None of this is challenging the throne of God or our King. So church, we're going to spend the next four weeks looking practically at how Jesus is our hope. How He is our protection. How He is our strength. And how He is our King that will reign forever and ever and ever and ever. As we look forward to how do we build a foundation that stands and can weather the storm. I want to close with Psalm 46, 1-3. through And if you'll do this with me, if we could read it together. We're all in the ESV. If you read this, we'll all be together. Read it with me. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Salah. Please consider this psalm. For it is our hope. For our hope is not our strength. Our hope is not our inner fortitude. It is not our willpower. It is not having the right friends. It is not our health. It is not any of the aforementioned poor foundations we could lean into. Our strength is God. He is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. We preached that last summer. But when you lean into this Psalm 46, you see that our strength is rooted in who He is and not who we are. And just for a moment as an applicational thought, let me just give this to you. Often when our world shakes and we can't control it, it's because we're paying too much attention to us and where we stand, and how our feet feel. I'm a large man. See, state the obvious. I've had this theory for a long time that large men like to have their feet on the ground. On many occasions have I been on a ropes course. I don't like them. You can convince me to all end that that rope and that carabiner will hold me. I don't believe it. But here's the crazy part. It's always held. In that moment, 
I'm feeling my feet. I'm feeling my heart. And I kid you not, my hand does this. And I'm not considering the truth. When we step into challenging situations, look to who he is, not to who we are. We're going to continue to walk into this. But Psalm 118 says that he is our cornerstone. This is his doing. It's done. He did it. It's not up to me. And it's because of him that we would not fear. Jesus Christ is the only solid foundation. He is the cornerstone. And we're going to continue to walk into this in the next four weeks. Let me pray for us. Gracious Father, thank you that in this book we have your word. In this book we have your truth. In this book you have declared to us all that is good and that is right, that is holy. Father, in this book you've declared that in Jesus Christ we have everything we need for life and for godliness. We trust that. In Jesus Christ we have every spiritual blessing. All of them given to us in Christ. Can we trust that? Father, over the next several weeks, no doubt, there are all kinds of issues in all of our lives challenging our foundation. Can, can we believe in you more? Hope in you more and look to you more to be our cornerstone, to be our foundation to be our hope, our protection, our strength, and our King. For you will not falter nor shake. Your word says you've promised never to leave us nor forsake us. And for that, we trust in you entirely. It is in the name of your great Son we pray. Amen.